The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, making the game more fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And thank you so much for coming back and joining us tonight and for voting the show up to number six in the October edition of Podcast Magazine's Hot 50 list. You all have been so awesome this season. Thank you very much for your support. We've got one goal left to reach, and that's getting to number one. Please keep voting each day by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. Next on the Teen Nation has been showing out in large numbers, and I appreciate each and every one of you so very much. Before we get into tonight's show, I want to remember a great anniversary for a wonderful friend of the show, Chip Beck. Yesterday, October 11th, was the 30th anniversary of Chip's spectacular 59 that he shot at the Las Vegas Invitational back in 1991. At the time, he became only the second player in PGA Tour history to shoot a 59. His round included five pars and 13 birdies, which, oh, by the way, was a record for most birdies in a round as well. It was a tremendous feat for one of the nicest and most positive people on the planet. So happy 59 anniversary, Chip. Congratulations to you. What a round. Okay, on to tonight's show, and it's our last show for season number eight. And we're going to go out in grand style with an all-star lineup of four amazing guests that are also some of my favorites of all time, and I can't wait to share them with you again tonight. First up is going to be Champions Tour Pro and PGA Tour radio host John Cook. John is a guy that I instantly became a big fan of when he first joined me a couple of years ago. He is such a genuinely good person, and on top of that, a fantastic talent on the golf course and in the booth. We're going to talk tonight about how he was able to make the transition to the booth so seamlessly, from being a tour player, getting up and being in the TV and radio booth. We'll also talk about a new event coming to the Champions Tour in 2022. It's called the World Champions Cup. It's an event that's going to be a mixture, sort of like the Ryder and President's Cup put together. Three teams, the U.S. team, a Team World, and a Team Europe. I'm so excited that we're going to have an event like this out on the Champions Tour. Really looking forward to getting John's thoughts on that. Plus, we'll reflect back on the Ryder Cup. We'll talk about the work John has done in the past with Patrick Cantlay. And for those of us that are north of our 50th birthday, I want to get a playing lesson from John for how we can stay limber and keep our golf swings fluid as we age, and then really over the wintertime as well. So really looking forward to having John back as part of the show. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. 
Following him, I'll get a return visit from former PGA Tour pro Tim Simpson. Timbo's been a wonderful friend of the show over the last several years. So excited that he's going to be joining me a little bit more on a regular basis coming up next season. Tonight, I'm going to get his thoughts on the Ryder Cup as well. We'll also talk about his relationship with Sam Snead and J.C. Snead. What was it like working and being around those two guys, having them as mentors? Plus, Tim was known as one of the best ball strikers ever. So we'll get a tip from him on how to get center club face contact more consistently. Looking forward to having Tim back as part of the show. He'll join me about 20 minutes from now. Following Tim, Champions Tour Pro Olin Brown will be here. I'll get O's thoughts on last weekend's Burek and Friends tournament that he played in. We'll also talk about sort of the non-glamorous side of playing out on tour. What it's like to be away from your wife and family for long stretches of time. How do you keep it fun versus allowing it to turn into a grind? Plus, I'll get his thoughts on the opportunity to be a part of that U.S. team at the World Champions Cup next year. Looking forward to having O back as part of the show. He'll join me a little bit later on in this hour. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from a guy who's become a really close friend thanks to this show and Twitter, and that's former actor and now host of Backspin Golf, Matthew Lawrence. Over the last few years, when I've thought about which guest do I want to be the last one you hear for the season, it's either been Matthew or his four-minute older twin brother, Mitch. Matthew and I are going to reflect on his award from the Kentucky section of the PGA of America. Last year, he was their media representative of the year. I'll also get his thoughts on the Ryder Cup, and if anyone did more for their personal brand during that Ryder Cup event than Bryson DeChambeau did, Matthew will join me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this final edition of Season 8 of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the McLemore. My buddies and I were there for our annual trip a little while ago, and it was amazing. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility that they have there is fantastic. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig has outstanding food and service. And the course lived up to every great expectation that we had for it. I can't say enough great things about the McLemore. Go online to themclemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest Agrito, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all bragging on it so much by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the all-new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or maybe even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online at TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM radio host John Cook. John is from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. He won six individual titles while he was at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bostad Award for the lowest stroke average in the conference each year from 1977 to 79. 
He was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. John won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 1975 and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79 as well. He turned pro later on in 79, got his first win on the PGA Tour in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. He won again in 1983 at the Canadian Open, this time beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour and 10 times so far on the Champions Tour. He has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame, and I'm excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming back on the show. Well, Chris, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be on your last show this season, and uh, with Tim Simpson, Owen Brown, and and uh, it, what a what a lineup, really. It's um, I'm honored. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you, John. So, John, catch us up. Last time we had the privilege of spending some time with you was back at the end of March. And for a guy who has three jobs now, I mean, you play on the Champions <laughs> Tour periodically, you're in in the broadcast booth, you're on the radio on Sirius XM. you got to be busier now than when you were a full-time player on the PGA Tour. How are things going? Well, I'll tell you what, Chris, it's awfully nice. It's, uh, it, it has been busy. I, I didn't think retirement was going to be this busy, actually. We hired some... <laughs> playing competitive golf really a couple of years ago and I, I'll dabble in one or two a year and that's about it. But, um, um, golf channel has been uh, keeping me busy and, and thankful, thankful for that. They took a chance on me a few years ago and they, you know, kept, kept me on board. And of course with, uh, with Sirius being on uh, Craig Can's show, uh, every, every Wednesday evening, um, you know, on, on his show, we've kind of kept that going. We did a show together for, a couple of years and I did a, a, so, uh, a show by myself for a year. Um, so it's, it's nice to be back on his show and periodically on some of the other shows. So, um, yeah, I am pretty busy. It's, uh, it's amazing that, um, my wife keeps reminding me that, you know, in, in this career, she never thought I would ever talk this much. I, I hardly <laughs> ever talked for the first, you know, 40 years that we were together. And now the last five that we've been together, I'm, I'm talking all the time. So it's kind of shocking to her, but it's kind of fun. And John, you're you're so good in uh, in the booth on on Golf Channel or whether it's on when, like you say, your your previous solo show on SiriusXM or the time that you and Craig spend together. Now, talk about the transition from being a player to being in the booth. Was that hard to do, or did it come naturally for you? I, I can't say it came naturally. I had you know a great mentor you know on the golf course with Ken Venturi, but I also. I paid a lot of attention to him while he was uh, doing the telecast, and we talked a lot. Um, I never thought I'd get into this side of the business, honestly. Um, you know, when Golf Channel you know, took that chance, and I worked a little bit, uh, you know, for NBC early on. Um, it, I would say yes and no. Yes, in the way that you know, you have a boss, you have uh, a producer, and you have people in your ear. And that was kind of interesting to get used to, just people talking over myself talking. And once I kind of got the hang of that and just kind of learned how to phrase things, uh, you know, a little bit shorter, not too long-winded, but give enough information that, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's basically just like you and me talking golf. You know, I, I want to be talking 
just what I'm thinking out loud. And I, I was always a, a man of a player of simple thoughts, simple uh, ideas, simple routine. And I tried to keep that simple uh, when I'm uh, in the booth or, or on the golf course uh, calling a shot. So just like you and I talking golf, and that's the way I wanted to feel relaxed, just like we're up, you know, buddies out just you know, chatting away or watching golf. So I'm watching golf with a couple buddies. Um, you know, that's how I would want to talk about what shot is uh, is happening in front of me. So um, once I learned that and, and ter- learned to relax in the booth a little bit, and uh, you know, watch the pros. We get to work with such great people, Chris. Uh, whether it's Bob Papa, uh, George Savarica, Steve Sands, um, you know, and of course Lanny Watkins, Billy Ray Brown. I mean, it's such a great crew that I get to work with on the PJ Tour Champions. It it makes it fun. It makes it easy. The producers are always fun. They keep things light. They keep things relaxed, and it just relaxes you even more. So um, transition. You know, I, I wanted to stay in the game. I wanted to talk about the game. I, you know, love this game, have since I was a kid. And I just really wanted to kind of portray that and get that across to uh, the listeners and, um, you know, gain their trust and maybe gain their respect a little bit. And, John, sometimes when you're either on the Golf Channel or doing your radio show, you're kind of put in the position where you have to be critical of a player, maybe a shot that they hit or something mm-hmm. they've done. Was that hard? Was it you? Know, you were out there. You were one of those guys, and now sometimes <laughs> yeah. you're in a position of being a little critical of one of them. Was that tough? Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit, Chris. To be honest, I was more critical about to myself than anybody. Um, I was, you know, overly harsh a lot to myself and people that played with me or worked for me or was around me. Uh, pretty much understood that, um, but it's it, it, it's not difficult to call a, a shot a shot, a poor shot, a you know misplayed shot, uh, wrong side. But I think I can do it in a way that it's not personal. It's just observational, and uh, get that point across that uh, you know that's not what he was looking for. He certainly didn't want it there. You know, if you're in this position, you got to be looking 25 feet right of the hole. You know, stuff like that. You know, I, I think that the guys that you know, if they go back and listen to it, know that I'm I'm not critical of them personally. I'm just calling the shot as I would tell myself. Oh no, you don't want it there, you big dummy! Don't hit it there. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and I think that they understand that. They appreciate it. I haven't had anybody ever come up to me and say, "Hey, you know what? I, you know, you really called this one. I, you know, it really hurt me." You know, they they say that you know you call it right. You know, you call it as you see it. You call it as you played it, and I think that they respect that. I don't I don't ever want to be personal um, calling a shot. John, we've been talking a lot about the Ryder Cup on this show over the last several weeks, and we went into the event wondering if some of the members of the U.S. team could even stand to be in the same team room together. And then we exit the event thinking that you know this team they're young. They could dominate the Ryder Cup now for the next several years. What did you think about what you saw, and how did that compare to what you thought was going to happen versus what actually transpired? You know, what I thought was going to happen was that they were all going to band together. Uh, Steve Stricker is that type of guy. Um, he will get guys to, to band together for a common cause, and that's what the captain is supposed to do. Then it's up to the players to perform. Um, you know, it, it, bottom line is the players don't perform. The captain gets the loss. Uh, that's unfortunate. But uh, Steve Stricker did a, a great job of 
getting that team room and getting those pods, the right people, the right players in those four pods um, to, to play as, you know, as they should, the three pods, I'm sorry. Um, and, and they did, they performed and, you know, he, he makes him look like a genius and he kind of was on putting the personnel together that needed, that he needed to win the Ryder cup and to dominate the Ryder cup. And certainly they went out, you know, day one, match one. And man, this, this team looks driven. They look motivated. They look uh, like they're concentrating and executing and they were having some fun along the way. And that's what's been missed is, you know, kind of that is just having, you know, having fun, um, you know, while, while you're playing, which is it's tough when you're getting your rear end handed to you. It's not, not, not much fun to lose. That's for sure. Um, but that's what I saw, Chris, is they banded together. The pairings were dynamic. The pairings were spot on every single one. Uh, you knew that Patrick Cantley was going to play with Xander Shoffley, uh, in, in a, in the, in the foursomes. Um, you just knew that because they, they, they play together all the time. They play practice rounds together. You knew that that partnership was going to go. Um, you knew some of the other ones were going to be perfect. And you know what? The, the guys executed and they did it, you know, masterfully. Um, they wanted it badly. And another thing that they get to remember that none of these players really, they, first of all, they hate to lose on, on obviously, but they're not used to losing. Um, so that was a little bit different mindset going in. This is why do we have to lose all the time? Well, I, I've, I've never lost. And so that's why the, you know, it, it made it even more important um, that this one was, turned out the way it did. And John, you mentioned Patrick Cantlay, and here's a guy who had a tremendous year winning four times, including the tour championship here in Atlanta. He won player of the year honors. And then he goes to the Ryder cup and goes three Oh and one, including beating <laughs> Shane Lowry four and two in the singles matches. I know he's a guy that you've worked with in the past. Talk about his progression as a player. Oh, Chris, it's amazing to see someone like Patrick, uh, you know, come along I've known Patrick now since he was a, a mid teenager, uh, at Virginia country club and Jamie Mulligan's program, his junior program, he grew up in, he was always hanging around, you know, the guys that Jamie was working with at the time, including myself, Paul Goidos, John Mallinger, John Merrick, uh, Pete Tomasulo. Um, they've all come through that system. Um, and to see Patrick around and, you know, going from a, a skinny little kid into growing into a young man to growing into a grown man, um, has been just amazing. He was always there asking questions. He was always wanting to get better. He was, you know, he wanted to join our groups. He had no problem, you know, us hitting it, you know, that far by him because we knew at some point that was, that wasn't going to last. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just great to be around uh, Patrick, um, see him, you know, how he progressed as a player, how, how he progressed as a young man into a, into a gentleman. Um, you know, pretty proud of, of Patrick and, you know, not, not just be on the golf course and what he's done. And he deserves all the credit that he's been getting because he's an incredibly hard worker. He knows exactly where he wants to go in this game. Um, and he's doing it the right way. It's not, you know, one big flash in the pan. He has progressed to this point to earn all these accolades that, that he's been earning. But off the course, he had, you know, some, some very serious personal issues. Um, Remember talking to him when his just after his you know, great friend, um, you know, was unfortunately got killed in a in a car accident, got hit by a car. 
right in front of his eyes that really hurt him obviously you know quite a, quite a lot as he was also battling some real prominent back issues um you know we talked about him wanting to keep playing or if he wanted to play and i remember you know saying to him that you know, you'll never know unless you give yourself that chance if you love the game it'll come back to you but you have to want you have to want to do it if you don't want to do it patrick you can go on and do anything you'll be great at whatever you want to do but you know, if you want to play, um, you know, this is this is how we're going to have to go about it. And, uh, you know, he, he certainly has done that. And he's, you know, given his, you know, his his best um, to stick to his program, to stick, stick to his system. Um, and it's worked out great. Happy for, very happy for Patrick. And, John, with all the hype and the excitement around team events, like the Ryder Cup, the Solheim Cup, the President's Cup, the Walker Cup, things like that, I kept wondering, why don't we have a similar event on the Champions Tour? Fans like me would love to see you guys rekindle those old rivalries. And, and now we learn about the World Champions Cup, which is set for next November, so November of 2022. And, um, boy, I, I couldn't be more excited to watch it. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, and if that's something that you're excited about as well. Oh, absolutely, Chris. I think the uh, the, champ, the, the the event, the is going to be a great event for for all of golf. It's going to showcase to the world the 50s and and, and overs. Uh, I, I think I'm a little bit past that, so unfortunately I won't get to participate. But uh, you know, to to have the idea, you know, come to fruition with uh, Ernie Els, Darren Clark, and Jim Furyk as the captains of the three teams. Uh, so we were going to have you know a, a rest of the world. We're going to have a Europe and a, and a U.S. Uh, team. I, I think is great because. There's some great players from around the world that are 50 and over uh, that have had great careers. And, you know, we just uh, you get that second chance to prolong your career. And you have, you know, players like Ernie Els and Darren Clark and Jim Furyk um, committing to the PGA Tour champions and focusing on the PGA Tour champions. That says a lot about what that product is all about. And I think to showcase that um, late next year, I think, is a wonderful thing. It's going to be a great event. Uh, and like I said, it's just gonna, you know, give uh, you know great exposure to, you know, w- what what you can do after the age of fifty. You don't have to hang them up. You know, these guys are still really good and playing some great golf. Um, so it'll be very very interesting, um, and I think it'll be fascinating to watch. And John, talk about match play and your experience doing that from a strategic perspective. How is match play different than stroke play? Was your strategy was it different? from shot to shot based on what your opponent just did? Or did you go out with a mindset to say, hey, look, I'm going to shoot the best score I can on each hole, and however the chips fall, they fall? So how I approached match play, uh, Chris, was maybe a little different, but it it was it worked for me. I was successful in a lot of match play. Um, so I would, I would go out in each match early on and just try to beat the golf course, not give anything away, not – you know, just don't give things away. Um, I wanted to beat the golf course. And if I was beating the golf course, I was probably going to be close to either leading in my match or, 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 you know, tied or very, very close. Then I would have, then I would adjust. Uh, then I, then I would get down to what do I need to do to win this hole? It doesn't really matter, you know, what I make on the hole. How am I going to win this hole? And it, you know, that may not have come along until, you know, early in the back nine on, you know, then playing the player to finish the match out. So 
I, I figured if I was beating the golf course, I had a really, really good chance to be up in the match, and then I would adjust to close the match out. John, switching gears a little bit, one of our mutual good friends is former NFL safety Venti Glenn. Venti and I were talking <laughs> a while back, and he told me a story about you making double eagle at the Green Monkey Golf Course down in Barbados. <laughs> Talk about yeah. playing golf with Venti in that shot. Oh my, that that, it, <laughs> that takes us way back. We were we were there for uh, uh, Tiger Woods uh, a wedding weekend, and uh, we were fortunate enough to be invited down there. And we had a a great little golf outing on a course that wasn't even open yet. The Green Monkey down there in Barbados at Sandy Lane. It was a wonderful, wonderful golf course, and we had a we had a blast. So I was I was playing with uh, with Vinci. I was playing with um, uh, Tiger's trainer at the time, Keith Clevin. And Mark Steinberg, who was our agent, um, and uh, sure enough, we we get around to you know one of the par fives. Now I won't say what was, else was going on while we were you know playing in this event, but there was little stations here and there where you could sample some different things. And uh, <laughs> this was getting towards the end of the day, and I had sampled a few things, and sure enough, I had never made a double eagle in my life. And yeah, I got up there and hit a driver four iron right in the hole, and I looked at the guys, and they went. Oh, so you got a new routine, huh? <laughs> this is this is this is what it takes. And then the next hole was this like long, long par three that I almost made a one. So I made a, you know, I hold a four iron and almost hold a three iron back to back. And you know, that's when uh, you know, Vinci, uh we had a greater appreciation for what professional golfers could do. <laughs> we go back. Vinci was a great guy. We had we had a lot of great talks about you know what he what he did in his career and you know, how much I appreciated, you know, the professional athletes and, and what he did. So he became a good friend. John, we mentioned your time at Ohio State. And I want to go back as a kid from Southern California, going out to Ohio State, as I recall from our previous conversations, Jack Nicholas, Tom Weiskopf were a generation before you there, but very influential in your decision to go there. Talk about how they convinced you, a Southern California kid, to go to Ohio State. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, Jack wrote me a, a, a wonderful uh, letter, uh, a note, and this is way back when, you know, alumni could actually help in the recruiting process. It has come back that way, but you know, there for a while it, that went away. You couldn't do that. Um, but Jack wrote me a wonderful letter. It wasn't just a, I mean, it was explaining why, you know, the the the, the good about you know what what program was about about Coach Brown because uh, Coach Jim Brown played just after Jack and with Tom. Um, so they were, they were quite friendly. Um, so you know, Jack's letter was, you know, of course kept that, got to keep that. Um, but Tom, Tom would give me a ring maybe you know, once a week or every couple of weeks. Um, the phone would ring. We'd be sitting down to dinner and, you know, the phone would ring and sister or somebody was going to get up and answer it. And they'd go, Hey, it's, uh, Tom's on the phone. And I didn't have any friends that were really named Tom. And once he, we figured out it was Tom Weisskopf and we, um, he, he, he took the time to, to call me and we chatted a few times and that, uh, you know, not that that sold me on the school because when I went back for my visit, that, that sold me on the school, you know, making the decision, um, you know, a, a couple months later that, uh, you know, that I would attend Ohio state. Um, but, uh, Tom was very influential and we maintained that, uh, that friendship and that acquaintance uh, for a, quite a long time. 
uh, through my through college, uh, through my first years on tour, uh, you know, through you know his last years on tour, we played a lot of practice rounds together. Uh, we talked a lot about course design and and paying attention to the golf courses that you were playing, um, and understanding what the architect was trying to do, uh, and understanding you know, things about that because it was fascinating to talk to Tom about uh, about golf course architecture. You know, back even way back in those days. So it was. Uh, I learned a lot from Tom, and and uh, you know, we we hope he's doing well. He's he's gone through some real personal stuff with his health, and uh, we we just you know wish the best for Tom because he, you know, Lanny Watkins and I talk about it all the time. Why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? I mean, it, it, it it's kind of crazy. I know he's only he's got one major, and you know, he's runner up at the Masters four times, and maybe. He needed one more major. He's got 17 wins. He's such a, a great influence in the game, you know, as far as ball and going head-to-head with Jack and Lee and Raymond and, you know, the, the greats of the game. Um, we just kind of you know, keep kind of chiming in on Tom, Tom Weisskopf should be in the Hall of Fame. John, just a couple more before I let you go, and I want to get a playing lesson from you for those of us that are north of our 50th or even 60th birthdays. <laughs> Yes, what advice do you have? <laughs> what yeah. advice do you have to stay flexible and keep our golf swings fluid yeah. and and from you know getting too short and losing distance? How can we keep everything sort of moving in 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 a, in a nice direction and not not lose too much yardage off the tee? Yeah, that's that's exactly it, Chris. Is you have to maintain your mobility and flexibility. And as I was turning fifty, I was kind of losing that, so um, I started working with a uh, a, a great, you know, therapist doctor named Tim Brown out in Newport Beach, uh, just a guru of a, a lot of that, keeping mobile and flexible. He, he worked on some of the greatest athletes that you you would ever know. I mean, his his list is a who's who. I, I promise you. Um, and he got me a hold in in touch with a, a trainer named Justin Franson. And, and between the three of us, or the two of them, they put together a program for me just to just to maintain mobility and flexibility. As we age, we get shorter. We've done, we all we've done is hunched over, you know, for how long we played the game of golf. So we just kept working backwards. We kept opening my shoulders, opening my hips, working on fast twitch muscles, do a lot of footwork, a lot of hand-eye coordination type stuff. But we were always working backwards, get on the big um, exercise ball and just stretch that back and get those shoulders open, get those hips open. Um, and that, um, that, that worked for me for, you know, so long until I just decided I was, you know, going to maybe, maybe cut down on my golf, competitive golf a little bit. But, you know, as we age, Chris, it's so important to maintain that mobility and flexibility uh, and, um, and, and use that to your strengths. John, remind our listeners about your shows and how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, a, uh, I, I join Craig Can every Wednesday evening at 7.30 Eastern uh, on his show for a segment or two, and we talk about things that are going on during the week or what ha- happened over the weekend. So uh, great fun to have that on, on PJ Tour Radio at uh, – He's on from seven to nine, so that that's a a nice little two hour window. Um, then I do all the PGA Tour Champions events for Golf Channel. Uh, sit in the booth now. I don't go out on the golf course much. 
so I'm I'm in the booth with uh, Lanny Watkins and whoever our host of the week might be, and that is usually Bob Popper, George Savarikas, uh, Whit Watson also joins in, um, Steve Sands as well. So we've got a great host, and of course Billy Ray Brown is on the course. So uh, whenever there's a PGA Tour Champions event, uh, I'm sitting in the booth, and then uh, I played a couple weeks ago at the Pure Insurance uh, Championship at Pebble Beach for my my one and done. I I unretired and went back into re-retirement <laughs> for, for a week. So uh, made the cut. So hey, that was that was kind of fun. But you know, those are the things basically that I'm doing, uh, keeping me busy, keeping me talking about our great game of golf. And um, hopefully, you can hear the passion in my in in the way that I announce and the things that I talk about because uh, I'm so lucky to have had this game and and had the support system around me to play this game for as long as I did and be supportive of that. And, um, and, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm as lucky as can be to, you know, never have had to really work, <laughs> just go play. And, um, it's, uh, it's been a godsend and I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky and thankful for, for what I have. Well, we can definitely hear the passion in what you're doing. You're outstanding. John, before I let you go, and I said this to you last time, but it bears repeating. And it's from your SCGA Hall of Fame speech. You said, my mentor and close friend, Ken Venturi, once told his dad he was really good at golf. And his dad replied, when you're good at something, tell people. But when you're really good at something, they'll tell you. Well, let me tell you, right. you, are, you are a really good player. You are a really good broadcaster. And you're a wonderful guest in person. And I can't thank you enough for coming back and being part of the show tonight. Uh, my, my pleasure, Chris. And I, I congratulate you on all your accolades. It's a, it's a great show. And you deserve everything that does come in your way. I Appreciate you having me anytime. Stay safe, John. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Absolutely. Anytime. See you, John. Take care. That's a great John Cook. And, folks, it just doesn't get better than John Cook. What a wonderful human being he is. Uh, you can definitely hear the passion when you're watching him on the Golf Channel or on Craig Can's show. And, like I say, they used to do it together. John did it on his own for a little while. But uh, everything about the guy is just nice and genuine, and he just couldn't be more of a pleasure to be around. Great golf career, great broadcaster, and look forward to catching up with John again next season. Before I get to my next guest, Tim Simpson, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you, like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking, because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, that's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com, and get Square's 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, Distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves have you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also help prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. 
Head over to BionicLoves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Zexio. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are light. I've picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factor. And the best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. NB Park is a Zexio ambassador, as are Ernie Els and top instructor Martin Hall. See why and how Zexio can help your game as well. Go online to ZexioUSA.com, that's X-X-I-O-USA.com, and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now back in making his sixth appearance with me here on Next on the T is one of the all-time great ball strikers and human beings on the planet, and that is Tim Simpson. Tim is from right here in Atlanta, Georgia, played his college golf at the University of Georgia, where he lettered in 1975 and 76. During his time there, Tim was named All-SEC, All-American, and a college All-Star. He turned pro in 1977. He won four times on the PGA Tour at the 1985 Southern Open, the 1989 USF&G Classic, and back-to-back years at the Walt Disney World Oldsmobile Open in 1989 and 90. He's also won the Georgia Open five times and the Casserole World Championship over in France. He was named the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year in 1989. He had two top 10 finishes in majors, both coming in 1990 at the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. That year, he was named the Georgia Professional Athlete of the Year, and in 2004, he was inducted into the State of Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. In 2006, he was inducted into the Georgia State Golf Association Hall of Fame and named the Comeback Player of the Year on the Champions Tour. Over the course of his PGA and Champions Tour careers, He's had 82 top 10 finishes and 202 top 25s. And like I say, he's a great guy, and I'm so honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Timbo, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having me on again. Tim, update us with how you're doing, because the last time we spoke, you got me pretty encouraged about you playing again. Well, I, I did too, and uh, unfortunately, uh, my back's not cooperating, but I never give up hope. And, uh, you know, I just want to be able to play with my juniors, you know, because it, it, you can teach them so much course management wise if you can play. But, um, you know, it, it, it really doesn't bother me a lot in day to day activities unless I make certain movements. But when I pull out a golf club and go to swing, it lets me know you're a little too old for this, buddy. <laughs> and it says you know three back surgeries aren't enough you want another one oh, <laughs> oh man how you been i mean good thank you when are you going to oh. come down for a lesson that's what we talked about last time i know and trust me it's on my list of things to do you know, there's no way that i'm going to let an opportunity to come spend some time with tim simpson get away so trust me it's going to happen. I'll let you know, but uh, there's, there's no way that I don't make that happen. Too much of a great honor to spend time with you than to not let that uh, go through. Well, 
Well, that's very kind of you. I got to end, uh, listen to the end of John talking. <laughs> when I think of John Cook, I think of incredibly talented, beautiful short game, and just class. His his mother and father are classy. His sister was classy. His wife is classy. They're just good first rate people. Great yeah, I couldn't guy. agree with. Great yeah, guy. I couldn't agree with that. You know, he is just one of the the, the most genuine, fun, great people that I get the privilege, just like you, that I get the privilege of getting to spend some time with. So very blessed to have John and you as part of the show. John, he doesn't want any credit, but John has never got enough credit, him and Mark O'Meara, for really turning Tiger into a great wedge player. Tiger was not a great wedge player when he got on tour. Remember, he had tremendous distance control issues, and they taught him how to flight the ball and how to hit different shots. And, you know, John and Mark were both magicians with the wedges. And uh, John's never gotten enough credit for that. Tim, I, I want to get your thoughts. And correct me if I'm wrong here. But the last time I think you said you don't even watch much tournament golf on TV anymore. Is that right? And, and did you spend any time watching the Ryder Cup? You know, I watched I watched a little bit of it, bits and pieces. Um, you know, uh the young man that I teach, uh, he asked me when, when I was working with him one day, what do you think about the captain's pick? And I'm like, who are they? You know? <laughs> I mean, I just don't keep up with it that much. You know, um, I was thrilled uh, for the Americans, and no credit to me, but I've been saying for 30 years that they ought to pick the hottest players going. You know, they have always picked guys that, that – Maybe we're beyond their prime. They said, well, you know, they have great records in the Ryder Cup. Man, I want a young gun that is full of confidence and winning and lighting it up. And uh, and that's that's what Strick did this year. He picked some, some young studs that weren't intimidated, weren't afraid, and just went out there and played brilliantly. And, Tim, with the great success that you had on the PGA Tour, particularly back in 1985, and again in 89 and 90. I'm surprised you weren't on any of those Ryder Cup teams. Were you disappointed by that? Well, it, it, it was a dagger in my heart when I missed it in uh, 91 because I'd led, I'd led the tour in top 10s in 89 and 90 combined. I had uh, won three times and lost seven death playoffs. And all I had to do in 91 after the Bob Hope where I lost a shot was have one more top 10 finish in like six months. And I knew, I felt like, you know, I could do that with a seven iron, you know, because I was <laughs> just playing fantastic. And and lo and behold, uh, after the Masters is when I went turkey hunting, and that's when I got Lyme's disease. And it hit me really fast. I mean, within six weeks, I mean, I was shaking horribly. I'd lost tremendous big muscle strength in my body. Uh, I know I went down to the Houston Sports Clinic in Columbus, and I'd done some strength testing a couple of years before before that, and they had me do all kind of strength testing, and I'd lost 60% of my big muscle strength in my body. Wow. And uh, for, a guy, for a guy that there was never enough hours in the day to practice, you know, I got to where I couldn't even hit 50 balls anymore, you know, and uh, it really took its toll on my health and ultimately my career, but you know, I was blessed, and uh, now I'm just trying to share my knowledge with some young people and 
help them achieve some of the things that I was fortunate enough to achieve. And speaking of that, Tim, I read early in your career you were mentored by Tim Sneed and J.C. Sneed. What was it like spending time with those two legends and having them as mentors, and what did they teach you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, people, you know, I've heard club professionals, teachers for 40 years say, it's a shame Sam couldn't teach. You know, let me tell you what Sam could teach. He maybe didn't say it as eloquently as some of the teachers, but the lessons he gave me and the things he showed me, and for whatever reason, J.C. had told him about me. J.C. and I would play uh, every Tuesday morning. Anybody that wanted to gamble, they could come on, and, and we'd take them on. And um, J.C. told Sam, he said, you got to see this young kid out here on tour. He said, you got to see this kid hit a golf ball. And he said he's there when they open the range at 7 a.m., and they run him off at dark. And so um, J.C. broke his wrist two or three days after he finished second in the U.S. Open at Cherry Hills in Denver. And I called him when I heard about it. This was years before cell phones. And I said, is it true? And he said, yeah. He said, hey, do me a favor. He said, come up here and, and help me bail hay. He's got a magnificent farm. And he said, bring your club because Unky's in town. That's what he called Sam, Unky, short for uncle. And uh, so we're at the house, and we just finished dinner like Friday night phone rings and jc said yeah just a minute and he said come here so i walk over there and sam said tim how you doing son i said good mr sneed how are you he said you want to play golf in the morning i'm like well let me check my schedule okay <laughs> 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 you know, i dropped the phone and fainted you know it was like playing with the lord you know and uh and that's that started an incredible friendship and i became I guess you would say like a grandson to him. And whenever he was still playing some on the, on the PGA tour, you know, five, six, eight tournaments a year. And whenever he'd get there, he'd ask the locker room attendant, where's Timmy Simpson? And he'd find me and off we'd go. And, uh, oh my gosh, he, he was just, he was unbelievable. Two things that the world doesn't know about Sam Snead is in six different decades as a professional, he never had a callus on either hand and the second wow. thing is he never pitched with a sandwich he could do stuff that tiger can't do with a pitching wedge around the green and people are like well why didn't he pitch with a sandwich well in the in the late 30s early 40s it, it wasn't until the late 30s or early 40s that gene sarazen invented the sandwich and sam had grown up pitching with a pitching wedge and he'd hit this little dead-handed shot that was like drop the ball out of your pocket. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And the, the most incredible hands and the most incredible shoulder turn I've ever seen. I mean, he, he turns like a 20-year, turned like a 20-year-old kid when he was in his 70s. He was totally double-jointed throughout his whole body, you know, and he didn't have to stretch. You know, he, he was just incredible. And speaking of that, and Tim, I've talked about this for years on this show, but I don't think enough people know how great Sam Snead was. I mean, most of us know he won 82 times on the PGA Tour and seven major championships, but he was a guy that was a competitor on tour well into his 60s. I mean, he finished third in the 74 PGA Championship at 62 years of age. 
if people think about Phil Mickelson winning at 51, think about what it would be like if Phil made another run 11 years from now. Uh, talk about Sam and, and some of the other things you mentioned. Is Talk about some of the other things that made Sam so great. He just he had he just had a brilliant common sense about it. You know, he never got ultra technical. Um, one year at the Masters, it was Wednesday, and I came walking into the locker room, and the gentleman that ran the locker room said, "Mr. Simpson, Mr. Sneed was asking where you're at." I said, "Where's he at?" He said, "He's in in there eating lunch with the Squire. That's what they called Sam uh, uh, Gene Saris." So I walked in. He said, hey, Timmy, you know the squire, don't you? I said, hey, Mr. Sarazen, how are you? So I sat down with him. He said, how you hitting it, son? I said, I said, not very good, Sam. I'm looking. He said, go on out yonder to the range. I'll be out there in a minute. So I walk out there, you know, get the balls. And there's nobody out there except on the far end of the range, Tom Watson, just the two of them. Sam comes walking out there, and he asked one of the attendants, give me a chair, please. And he gets him a chair and he sits down, you know, right on the other side of my golf balls where he's facing, you know, at my chest while I'm hitting. And I mean, two balls. He said, son, there's nothing the matter with your swing. He said, it's your rhythm. He said, the golf swing is, is like a waltz. He said, it's na, 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 na. He said, it's not rock and roll. He just slowed the dead gum club down. And I didn't, I didn't play great that week, but I made the cut. I never played good in the Masters, but um, I, it just, there was common sense stuff like that. And I still think today, my biggest complaint with the young guys on tour is you, if, if they, more of them would swing 85% until they really need to dip in the gas tank you know, for the extra 15 on a par five, maybe they can get home or something. But the, what, but the analogy that I give, especially to young people and to amateurs, is if you're lucky enough to have a Ferrari or a Corvette, any type of exotic car, if you ran it redline constantly, it's just a matter of time before it blows up. Well, if you're swinging 110% or swinging like Bryce the Shambo, it's coming. You're going to hit it out of bounds sooner or later or in the water. And um, I just have always lived and I still believe, you know, 85%. You know, and if you're lucky enough, y'all were talking about Tom Weisskopf earlier, he was one of those players that truly had another 15 or 20 yards anytime he wanted. Um, and, and those players, I was always envious of, you know, because with me, it was like, you know, I would just, average distance. I was taught, my dad used to tell me, son, let the club do the work. Yeah. So, and I never tried, Same. I never, never tried to kill him. Yeah. Because I knew if, I knew if I could get it in the fairway, I, now the ball was in my court. Because you put an iron in my hand, it ain't going to be good for you. You know, <laughs> that was just, that was the strength of my game. You know, so yeah. for me, it was just get it in the short grass and let's go from there. Tim, talking about how we were taught and, and what it was like back in the day, I mean, right now we're, everyone is so fixated on advances in drivers and irons and the golf ball, but one of the things we don't talk enough about is how advanced putters are nowadays. And I remember when I played, when I first started playing, I used a small bullseye putter 
That thing had a sweet spot about the size of a penny. Did you, what did you grow up putting with, and did you use a bullseye at one time? I did use a bullseye. I used both the bullseye and the female model, if you remember they called it the Lefem. Uh I used the <laughs> female model, too. It was a little bit different shape. Um, but I still have, I, I, I was an 88.13 or an 8802 putter, like Crenshaw. You know, the heel-shafted putter, Mickelson's won two umpteen tournaments with one. Um, I still have probably five or six of them in my basement. I got two in the bedroom I've been putting with the last couple of days. So, yeah, I mean, that those putters, they do have a tiny sweet spot, but it's like you can still make it with them. Tim, because you are one of the best ball strikers ever, and what that tells me is, you got center club face contact nearly every time. You talk about how dangerous you were with an iron in your hands. Most of us were lucky to hit it there a few times around. Give us a lesson. What can we do better so we can get more consistent center of the club face contact? I think for starters, remember last time uh, you asked me for a tip before we hung up, and I said grip the club lightly. That was one of the that was a Sam Sneedism there. And you cannot, if you can take a golf ball or a rock in your yard and grip it tight and try to throw it. It's impossible. You know, you have to grip it light to be able to release the club. And as Sam told me, he said, son, when you get under pressure, it's natural for your grip pressure to get tighter. So you want to start lighter to begin with. And then, um, and then I would go back to with the irons and even with the driver, keep 85% in mind. You know, my dad would say, swing within yourself, son. You know, and um, I just, to me, I just think the game is going in the wrong direction, you know, with the emphasis on driving. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, it's still a matter of getting it in the hole. And, uh, you know, you've had guys that aren't long hitters that have had fantastic careers, Zach Johnson being one. You know, um, I, I think that, there's too much emphasis on distance now. And as we talked about last time I was on the show, yes, the clubs are incredible. Yes, they're computer designed. And yes, they're jack strong. A seven iron is a five and a half iron of 20 years ago. But the bottom line is to me, it's, it's the ball. The ball is so far out of control. And to be quite honest, uh, based on an email I got about 16 months ago from the PGA Tour, they don't want to do anything about it because it helps in the rating. But to, from the time I was 16 until I was old and chubby on the Champions Tour, my seven iron was 155. And you say, how did it not shorten up? Well, because the club got stronger, the ball got hotter, so it went farther. So now when I watch guys like Ricky Fowler that are five seven, you know, wearing high heels, Carrying it 310, 315 in the air and hit 200 yard seven iron, I just can't, I, I just can't relate to it, Chris. It's, it's just like another sport to me. Tim, for our listeners who are interested in getting lessons from you, either for themselves or their junior player, how can they get in contact with you and get on your lesson tee? Well, they can call Harbor Club at Lake Oconee and, and uh, they can get them in touch with me. Or um, or they can email me at timbogolf99 at gmail.com. And um, 
you know, I, I love teaching. Uh, I, I remember helping men at Ansley Golf Club in Atlanta when I was 14 years old, you know, and they'd say, come down to the practice team, give me a lesson. You know, I've just, I've always been intrigued. You know, John was talking about Tom Wyskoff's knowledge and love of architecture even 35 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, before he became one of the all-time amazing architects. I was that way with teaching. I just love to teach. I love the little intricacies about the swing. And I'm a big believer in if you can feel it, you can change it. You know, if I can say, Chris, let me let me show you. Try this drill right here. And you say, that feels weird. I'm, I'm like, yeah, but that's what I want you to feel. You know, for me, it, to put you on a track man, you know, and say you're 1.24 degrees inside on the takeaway and your club face is, you know, 0.9 degrees on downward at impact, how does that help you? The bottom line is I got to give you some meat and potatoes that you can go out and play with. And certainly if, if you're a competitive player, you know, a top amateur or PGA Tour player or a young pro, your livelihood demands it. I mean, you have to go out and make money. So I believe in keeping it simple and keeping it simple and just giving you a little feels. I mean, that's that's the way some of the greatest teachers I've had the privilege of knowing in my life are. That's the way Butch Harmon is. He can he's considered the best of the best, you know. And uh, Butch keeps it very very simple. It would shock amateurs to know how simple he keeps it. Tim, I'm looking forward to having you as a more regular guest next season. Every time you come on the show, you always make the segment so much fun, and we learn something, too. You're absolutely spectacular, my friend. I hope we get the privilege of having you more frequently when we start Season 9. Well, it's very flattering, Chris. You, you do an incredible job, and I know you keep people on their on their toes listening to your next words. I mean, you have great guests, and uh, I'm glad to hear couple buddies of mine were on tonight and uh you know you, you just do a great job it's my pleasure and my honor to be on anytime you want me well i appreciate that very much my friend stay safe out there all the best to you and your family look forward to catching up with you again soon tim and come see me and let me work with you before it gets cold <laughs> <laughs> indeed i can't wait all right my friend thank you so see much tim. Chris. you betcha bye-bye that's the great Tim Simpson, folks, and one of, like I say, one of the all-time great ball strikers and just great human beings on the planet, and there's no way I let that invitation get away from me. So look to working with Tim and then having him on as a more regular guest uh, when we come back for season number nine in March. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Owen Brown, I want to remind you about a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. Are you like me? Always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Square's golf shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Square's 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, 
Distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Okay, now back in making his 10th appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is Olin Brown. Let me remind you about Olin's background. He's from Washington, D.C., played his college golf at Occidental College out in L.A., He joined the golf team as a sophomore and gradually moved his way up to being their number one player. He was named a first-team All-Conference, All-SCIAC, in 1980 and 1982. He was inducted into their Golf Hall of Fame in 1997, and their Golf Annual MVP Award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984. He won four times out on the Corn Ferry Tour, twice in 1991, once in 93, and once in 96. He won three times out on the regular tour. In 2005, he won the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year Award. And over the course of his playing career, he's had five wins, 48 top 10 finishes, and 110 top 25s. Included in those five wins are two so far out on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open and the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship here in Atlanta. And I'm honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, oh, how are you, my friend? Chris, what's happening? How are you, bud? I'm fantastic. How are you? How are things going out there? I'm doing great. Yeah, Things are going okay. I was just uh, kind of eavesdropping on what you and Tim were talking about earlier. There's a lot of wisdom there in what Tim had to say. Um, I, I, you know, we're in a different time zone, a different era with modern golf. But, you know, what he was talking about is, relationship with guys like Sam Snead and stuff like that, that gets lost when generations uh, skip one another. And uh, there's an awful lot of cool stuff there. Um, Golf is such a great word-of-mouth game, and I love hearing stories like that. So good for you for putting them on the show and talking about that. Well, let's let's take that a step further. As he got to spend time with Sam Snead and J.C. Snead, some of the legends out on tour, did, did you get an opportunity to have a mentor like that, were there guys that, uh, you know, a previous generation or whatnot that were around that gave you some pointers and kind of took you under their wing? Well, I can promise you there's nobody who's ever played golf at any any level uh, like the PGA Tour who hasn't had somebody from an earlier generation influence him or her uh, and what what we have done. And, uh, you know, I've had some some great mentors I've had the chance to sit down and talk to some incredible people. Uh, Tony Penna, who's a name that doesn't get a lot of credit for being the kind of instructor that he was, but he was a gifted, talented player who really made his bones as the preeminent clubmaker of his time. And, you know, the nuggets that you get to glean from a, from a person like that and the stories that he would tell about, you know, the Tamashaner and, and, uh, and other events that he played over the course of his career. And like I said, you know, those have legs and, and there's, there's real, there's real guts in the, in the experiences of other players. And I think that any young player who, who can kind of 
connect with an older player and glean information from him who's going to be better off for it. And oh, the last time that uh, we had the privilege of spending some time with you was back in, in early April. And here we are. We This has been an elongated Champions Tour season, elongated PGA Tour season. We have a, a whole wraparound season going on. Talk about the the longevity of this season, and has it been a bit more of a grind than it has been in the past? No, I mean, I, you know, it's dates, so... It's no different, really. Um, you're just you're just cobbling together, you know, two limited seasons. So I, I don't look at it that way. I look at every tournament as an opportunity to do better than I did the last week. And you know, some days you get out there and you actually do that, and other other weeks you get out there and you and you uh, you know you've experienced the struggle that other itinerant golfers go through. So no, I I, I don't see that. Um, it just you know the number the numbers tend to. You know, it's not quite double because it's not. We have like 28, 27 week seasons out here, so we have a 43 or 44 week double year. So you know, we lost we lost a bunch of tournaments, but it basically ends up being you know the season that we all compete within, and uh, it is what it is. I know I was talking to Tim in the last segment. One of the things we talked about was driving accuracy over distance. And uh, I noticed, like, in the last tournament, you just finished up with the Furyx and Friends this past weekend. In the second and third round, you hit 80% and 93% of your fairways. I know you may not be the longest guy off the tee anymore, but is that a focus now? But, boy, if I can get the ball in the short grass a bunch of times, that now becomes my advantage. While guys are maybe bombing it but hitting it over in the rough, I'm going to have a better shot and a better angle. So that's my opportunity to win golf tournaments now. Well, I mean, that's always been my focus. I've never been able to overpower a golf course. And the problem, the problem with that is, is that, you know, the game has evolved. And so while Tim was talking about launch monitors and, you know, angles of attack and this and that, and the other thing, the bottom line is that, that, you know, equipment has enabled uh, the stronger players to excel and, you have to find a way to fit what you do best within the context of what, you know, has an application in, in tournament play. And um, it gets harder and harder for, you know, there used to be the expression courses for courses. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't apply any longer. It's, you know, how far can you hit it? How close can you get it to the green? And how many, how many birdie opportunities can you give yourself? So, you know, the, the game, the philosophy of the game of golf has, has changed it's evolved and it's become a different kind of a game and this is why you see you know the success of a guy like Bryson DeChambeau you know Phil Nicholson too you know these guys figured out that the closer that they can get it to where they will you know where they want to be with their tee shot or, you know the shorter shot that they have into the green the bigger advantage they have in playing a golf course and so you know while some people decry the fact that shot making has become a lost art well, shot making just become different, you know. Now you're now you're trying to figure out how to control the ball out of the first cut of the rough or out of the trees and get it close to the hole so that you can give yourself maximum up birdie up. Uh, you know, I think that the governing bodies are trying to look at this and trying to figure out a way to, you know, to put things on a more even keel. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but the bottom line is that uh, guys have gotten strong and and the equipment allows them to swing. Uh, freely at the ball and they're taking advantage of it and you're seeing the results. I mean, look, Sung JM last week, 
I think he shot 61 the first round, shot 62 in the final round, and won by five shots. So that tells you, I mean, I, I can't ever recall, uh, certainly in the time that I played on tour, that a guy shot a 61 and a 62 in the same tournament uh, on tour. So things are definitely changing. And, oh, we, we continue to see a guy like Bernard Longer near the top of the leaderboard week in and week out on the Champions Tournament. The guy finished seventh last week, and he's a couple of years older than you. And when you guys go out to dinner at night, you guys, you're guys looking over to see where Bernard's going and then what he's ordering and say, you know what, I'll what he's having. You know, I think people have been trying to poison his food for a long time. Nobody's seen it thus far. You know, I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He's a menace. Uh, the, the guy is... The guy's a freak show on wheels. Um, he's got, you know, a lot like Tiger Woods had Jack in his sights. Bernhard's got Pale Irwin in his sights. And he wants to be the guy that goes down in history as the most prolific winner on the PGA Tour champions. And, you know, he shows up every single week uh, and prepares like it's his first event ever. And he shows up Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you know what? More oftentimes than not, he's in the mix. And I saw the Champions Tour did a kind of a funny video with Bernard and, and Tom Lehman trying to plan, uh, prank the other players. They dressed Bernard up like a maintenance guy and had him do a whole bunch of things, spray water on Darren Clark and make noise during Padraig Harrington and Phil Mickelson's swing. Is is that a side of him that we don't see? Is he a prankster? For sure. Uh, Bernard has a sneaky sense of humor. He's a, he's a really good guy. He's engaging. He's funny. Um, He's super polite, and uh, he's a gentleman, you know. And he's everything that he's everything that uh, that everybody should aspire to as a golf professional. Um, he's thorough. He's professional. He's uh, um, welcoming. If you have an issue, you can approach Bernhard at lunch and sit down and say, "Bernhard, I wanted to ask you a question or two. and he would. He would drop what he's doing and spend his time. And you find a lot of those kind of guys out here, you know, guys that you wouldn't expect um, who are eminently approachable and and are willing to pass along the lessons that they learn along their route. And I think that's one of the things that makes our game such a great game. I know Phil Mickelson obviously won this past weekend his third victory in four Champions Tour events. And we all know Phil likes to have fun. He's a big trash talker and, and uh, always very funny. And on all the years that uh, you are on the regular tour with him and now on the Champions Tour, what's your favorite Phil Mickelson story? Oh, well, you know what? It's, he's got, there are a million of them. But the truth is that, you know, you can engage Phil on, on any level, right? You, you start a conversation about about the debt ceiling or about, uh, you know, the national park system or whatever it is. And, you know, he's already studied it. He's got his point of view on it. And you, you can start a conversation and get into a disagreement on that particular topic. You'll find that halfway through the tide has turned and he's already on your perspective and you're, and you're having to defend his. And so and he's, a, he's an incredible debater. He's a smart guy. He does his homework. He's got his opinions about things. He's a lot of fun to talk to talk to about stuff, and you know he's just another guy that you, you know you, 
he, he's the ultimate entertainer, you know, and, uh, and people see that he's not shy about it. And he, uh, he's great for golf. Oh, I was talking to uh, Scott McCarron a few weeks ago here on the show before the Ryder Cup, and I and I asked him why the Champions Tour didn't have a Ryder Cup-like event. I think we'd all love to see you guys out there rekindling those rivalries. And he said, you know what, I think there's something in the works. And now we hear about the World Champions Cup, which is going to come next year in November 2022. Talk about what you know about that event, and does that team – you know, that team event for 2022, maybe add another goal for you for next year? Um, for years and years, golf didn't have the Olympics. And for years and years, golf didn't have the President's Cup. It was just the Ryder Cup. And for years before it became the United States against the European continent, it was just the United States against, against Great Britain and Ireland. And so as golf has grown, so have the international competitions. And the thing about golf is it's an individual competition. Weekly, we are out there competing against one another for the championship, for the prize money, for, you know, basically our entire careers. And and as golf has evolved, so have the idea of international competition and team competition. And I, I just think it's great because it gives the players an opportunity to do something that we really haven't had a chance to do since college. You know, being part of a part of a team in golf and an individual sport is certainly a unique opportunity for a lot of players. I, I, I was involved in a team competition as an assistant captain on Paul Azinger's 2008 team, and I can just tell you that there's nothing like it that I've ever experienced, nothing else like it that I've ever experienced in golf. And so for guys at our level, who, most of them who will compete we're part of a Ryder's a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup. Certainly, almost no player uh, on the PGA Tour champions will have had the opportunity to compete in the Olympics. As time goes by, that'll change. But you know, it gives players an opportunity to get together with other players and experience something that they haven't had the chance to otherwise. And I think it's just great. Oh, just a couple of more before I let you go and. One of my favorite follows on Twitter is at Super 70s Sports. And you retweeted one of their tweets, which was, when I was a kid, adults didn't give two blanks about safety. No helmets, no seatbelts, ubiquitous secondhand smoke, playgrounds built for Navy SEAL training. But if you tried to use a pair of scissors, then suddenly they feared for your life. What was life like growing up for you? Because that's pretty uh, indicative of what life was like for most of us growing up in the 60s and 70s? Dude, the front door was for to hit your ass on the way out and to lock on the way in. And the rest of the day was outside. And if you didn't come back, skinned elbows and knees and, you know, pine cones in your head down your shirt and everything else, I mean, we were outdoors playing ball, cruising through the woods, wading in the streams and rivers where I grew up and all this kind of stuff. Now, I mean, it's just a just a part of life and you know there were there were three square meals in the house daily and the rest of the time your ass outside and that was the way it was and you know we live in a different world now times have changed for sure but um yeah you know it's like my dad looked at me and he said i made you i'll make another one just like you don't mess up right and so that's just the way life was um and, and, and things are a little bit more careful in this day and age. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I really, I really like that, uh, 
that Twitter site because it has a lot of funny stuff on it. Before I let you go, update us on how how's your son doing? How's Owen Brown Jr.? Uh, he's right in the middle of school, getting ready for the second stage of Corn Ferry, going out to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, you know, he's been playing some good golf, playing, you know, again, he's one of those guys who's gotten stuck, locked out the last couple, last couple of years because there hadn't been a qualifying school. The European uh, tour is, is going for three consecutive seasons without a qualifying uh, or two consecutive seasons. So it'll be three consecutive years without a qualifying school. So um, it's been very difficult for the guys who are trying to make it. And uh, he's excited about the opportunity, and he's going to go out there and get ready for second stage starting the week after this and uh, try and get to finals and get his get his butt on the Corn Ferry Tour. And, you know, there are a lot of opportunities opening up to young players in golf, you know, the tour, the purses are growing, the tournaments are growing, quarterly the same, and so there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be working towards. Only before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with the great things you're doing and follow you online and on social oh, media. Follow what's going on, the PGA Tour champions, and uh, I got a Twitter account, Owen Brown, and. Uh, you know, I'm not lighting the world on fire, but I'm having a good time doing it, doing the slow burn at the age of 62. But, God, I love what I do, and I hope I can do it for a while longer. hope you'll yeah. hope we'll ask me to come on your show again another time, too, because that's the real <laughs> benchmark. You know, Christmas Carl's asking you, Christmas Carl's asking you to come on his show. You're still doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. It's been 10 times. We had to get you in double digits, and now now we'll go for another milestone to make it up to 20. But you're outstanding, my friend. I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming back and being part of the show. You're absolutely one of my favorites. Well, I'm sorry, man. It's great talking to you always. and It's great to hear some of the things Tim was saying. I share some of his sentiments. You know, I mean, we all, it's, a, it's a great game, and I, I encourage everybody who loves sport, loves competition, and loves, you know, the act of trying to get better at something to to embrace the game of golf because it's it's never solved. It's always a challenge. It's hard work, but boy, it's, the rewards are just tremendous. You know, the, the self esteem that you build from trying to figure out how to do something that's so complicated, so difficult, uh, and coming out the other side of it. You know, we get we get so few opportunities to to uh, really relish the accomplishment of what we do because the rest of the time it's part of the you know it's part of the struggle to figure it out. But man, what a great game! Great game. Couldn't agree more. You're the best, my friend. Stay safe out there. All the best in your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. You too, bud. Great visiting with you. Take care. See you. That's a great Owen Brown, folks. What a wonderful human being and what a great player. He continues to be force out there on the Champions Tour and looking forward to catching up with him again next season. Uh, and hopefully his son gets an opportunity because he's a, a wonderful young player as well. But Owen Brown is just one of the most solid human beings you'll ever meet. And uh, someone I'm very privileged to uh, to call a friend. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Matthew Lawrence, I want to give a shout out to a couple more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance. 
from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, All Shields Sports Stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two underperformance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA licensed briefs. I also want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Pine Valley Orthotics, and their founder, Stu Sakowitz. Did your feet, back, knees, and hips stop you from playing good golf or golf at all? Maybe plantar fasciitis or neuropathy is killing your golf game? Then you owe it to yourself to try a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Pine Valley Orthotics are uniquely designed with an energy return system not found in any other product. When you step down, they gently spring back, relieving foot pain and stress, energizing your whole body, and they work. I love my Pine Valley Orthotics. I've got them in my golf shoes, and I've got them in my dress shoes. In fact, Stu Sakowitz, the owner, is so sure that they're going to ease your pain, he's offering a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want better balance and stability, treat yourself to a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics today. Go to PineValleyOrthotics.com, and for a limited time, you can get these for only $99 and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's only $99. Ease your pain, improve your game, and change your life. Only at PineValleyOrthotics.com. Okay, now back with me is one of my all-time favorite actors, radio hosts, and another one of my favorite people on the planet, and that's Matthew Lawrence. Over the last few years, when I've sat back and thought about which guest do I want to be the last voice you hear at the end of our season, it's been pretty easy for me to decide who that should be. They are two guys who are very special and very important to me, and they just happen to be twin brothers, and that's Matthew and Mitch Lawrence. I can't imagine anybody better to end a season with than either of those two guys, and tonight, Matthew is joining me. You guys hear me talk about Matthew's show Backspin Golf all the time because it's fantastic and the best way to start your Sunday mornings. You can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or on the WLXG app. The show starts at 8.03 a.m. Eastern Time. Last year, Matthew was recognized by the Kentucky section of the PGA of America as their media representative of the year for his great contributions to the game. Among Matthew's other great works on the screen is his stellar performance as bass player Salamato in the movie Eddie and the Cruisers, one of my all-time favorite movies. I think I've seen it a hundred times. I could recite lines with Matthew which might be a fun show for next season. You've probably also seen Matthew on Saturday Night Live, Beverly Hills 90210, One Tree Hill, or 30-something. Matthew has also been a sideline reporter for Duke and now Kentucky Basketball. He does a show, a pre- and post-game show for Kentucky Basketball. He's a tremendous talent and an even better friend, and I'm very excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Matthew, how are you, my friend? As always, when I join you, I'm exhausted listening to everything that I've done. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm exhausted. I, I, I have no idea how I'm even here. And just so you know, Chris, we have to find a better way, a better phrase than the last voice you'll hear will be Matthew Lawrence. There has to be something different that we can say. <laughs> oh, wait, it's for this season. Okay. All right. I get it. <laughs> Good call. It's great to Good talk call. to you again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Matthew, I want to start our time tonight by going back to the Ryder Cup. And I know many of us, including me, 
wondered if the U.S. team could even stand to be in the same room together, let alone play together and go out and win. And now that they've done it in dominating fashion, people are wondering if the European team, maybe they can't compete anymore. Maybe they're too old. Guys like Westwood, Poulter, maybe even Sergio might not be around the next time around. And these guys on the U.S. team, now all of a sudden they're young guns and they're going to be, you know, dominating this event for years to come. You buying any of that? You know, Chris, it's it's really interesting um, because leading up to the Ryder Cup, I found myself, and this it's not just with golf. I have to say, in a lot of areas, and I'm not really sure if it's because I'm the old guy on the porch now, or you know, I listen to you with Olin, who, by the way, is so fantastic. I mean, he's so great. Um, talking about, you know, growing up in the 60s and the 70s, I was already, you know, like in high school in the 60s. I'm, I'm, what, what am I, 94 now, I think? Something like that. But I found myself, especially this year, I didn't get as excited about the Ryder Cup as I always have before. Uh, I found myself much, much more engaged PN team. And I don't think that I'm the only, as a matter of fact, I know I'm not the only one that that this happened to this year. But I think I should just start out by saying uh, I'm a little burnt out on the PGA Tour. I know this sounds weird, so I'm glad I have a minute to explain. Um. I'm sick of the drama on the PGA Tour uh, with Bryce Epps and Brooksy and all of that stuff, which carried over, obviously, into the Ryder Cup. Everybody was questioning about what was going to happen in the team, and all the things that, you know, our team chemistry and all. I found myself, and I know, I know that you saw it, too, following the social media of Team Europe, which was brilliant leading up to the Ryder Cup, and identifying more with the attitude that the European team basically has always had in terms of teamwork and why it's so important to them. And I I just this year, it kind of reached uh, a zenith for me. In that way, I was not shocked at all that the United States, I didn't think they dominate quite as much as they did, but it didn't shock me that we beat them badly um, because it was on home uh, turf, so to speak. And uh, uh, we have great players. I mean, I think nine out of the top 12 in the world were on the American team. But I found myself much more involved with the European team this year. It was a very, very different feeling for me. I was very happy. I like most of the guys on the American team. Uh, I certainly like the young guys that we have playing. I don't mean that at all. I just meant this year was a very different Ryder Cup for me uh, in that way. It was really interesting. And I think it'll be fascinating to see what happens in Rome in a couple of years because 
we haven't seen it quite as much, but Europe has some really good young players too. Uh, we don't see them quite as much as we see our guys over here, but I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens uh, in Rome. And Matthew, I know you're not a Bryson DeChambeau fan. You don't even let your guests on your show use his name when they, when they come on. Correct. But um, correct. <laughs> did but did anyone do more for their personal brand exiting the Ryder Cup than Bryson did? Uh, probably not. <laughs> you mean with the long drive and all the things that he had going on? Well, I, mean, I think we were sort of semi-concerned, obviously, with the team room piece. We talked about that, but, you know, maybe he would even get heckled by the home fans. But he yeah. goes out and, and does things like he did in the singles match where he drives the first green, and then he get, gets his putter, and he's walking off, and he's raising the putter over his head, I think, for two reasons. One, to acknowledge the fans, and two, to say, see, my next shot on this par four is going to be with this putter. And the fans went crazy. Right. Yeah. I uh, I understand what you mean. And I, I always say this when whenever it is that I talk about him. I have nothing but incredible respect and admiration for what he's done in terms of golf, purely in terms of what he's done with his golf game. Uh, I think it's incredible to see where he's come from not that long ago, and his decision to remake his body and remake his swing and all the things that he does in terms of, you know, air pressure on every shot and all kind, all those things he does, it takes an incredible um, talent to do what he does. I, am ne- I have never disputed that. I just don't like the guy. I mean, that, that we all have these athletes in every sport where we go, you know, the, the guy's great. I just don't like him. I don't know if it's this or it's that. or That's the way that I've pretty much always felt about him. And it's very hard for me to get excited about him or watch him, even driving the first green. I expected him to drive the first green. And again, it's probably because I'm the old guy on the porch. I would much, I enjoy golf, shot making golf. The most thrilling to me. I'm the, I have always been, since before I started playing golf, which was, holy cow, 40 years ago, Seve was my idol. I love shot making golf. I still do. There's a big difference. Guys hit it a lot further. I get all of that. But the guys that I love watching are the the shot maker guys. And he's not one of them. And I'm not taking anything away from what he does, as I said. But uh, I, you're probably going to ask me about this. There is zero, and I mean, well, less than zero, to quote one of my favorite movies, chance that I will be watching that clown show the day after Thanksgiving. No, you're not watching I mean, that? zero chance. Zero chance. <laughs> I have absolutely no interest in seeing that. None. I think because I'm pretty much a golf purist. Anyway, that's how I think of myself. <laughs> uh, I can be delusional sometimes, but that's, that's the way I feel. Matthew, I, I know you grew up a big 
Sandy Koufax fan, which is fine. He's one of the best pitchers of all time, and he was obviously a Brooklyn Dodger. And when when you, uh, I think, became a big fan of his, and you're also a Yankees fan, which isn't fine and doesn't make sense because you can't idolize a Dodger but root for the Yankees. Um, But the Red Sox eliminated the Yankees. Hold it. Hold it. it. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Hold it. That's a ridiculous statement. You know I love you like a brother. But that's – what do you mean you can't root for the Yankees and idolize a Dodger? Of course you can. I'll tell you something even more to just shatter your whole Red Sox-Yankee thing that you've got going on. And I've said this to you before. I'm a die-hard Yankee fan. Die-hard. And I'm rooting for the Red Sox. Wow. The Red Sox. I always have. Tim Wakefield yeah, has been one of my closest friends. I grew up, I, I not grew up, I went to college in Boston. I lived there for a year after I got uh, out of college. I was just in Boston a month ago at friends of mine anniversary party, seeing a whole bunch of Boston friends. Now, how is that possible? How could I be a huge, I don't know. the biggest Yankee fan? Okay, so... Put that. Put a pin in that balloon you just flew about this this rivalry stuff. Okay. Wow. It ain't me. Of course I, I love Sandy Koufax, and of course I'm a Yankee fan. Next question. <laughs> I don't know how you do it because you're a better man than I. Because there's no way I can do that. Well, uh, <laughs> most people you. Are like that. Just yeah. No, I'm an I'm an exceptional human being. I mean, There's you no know question. that. Right? You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, beyond okay, question. Whatever. Of course you are. Yes. So yeah, right. where I was going with that question, outside okay, of the sarcastic sorry. remarks, was as as such, you're, you're a great golf. We all know that by listening to Backspin Golf, how great you are at the game. But have you gone back to New York? Oh, yeah. do you, as, a, as a big celebrity that you are, do you get to go and play the Beth Pages and Shinnecocks and Wingfoot and all the great golf courses in New York. Have you gotten an opportunity to go back and play those? You know, it's a, that's a great question, and it's why Next on the Tee is the best golf podcast. Uh, I guess it has something to do with you, but you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, not really. I have not. I ha- actually, I have not. And when I think about, I've played. I have. I always say this. I am one of the most blessed people that has ever walked and the things I've gotten to do um, because of my acting career and because of people I've met and all those things, I have played golf all over the world, literally. I have played the only golf course I have played in New York is the Garden City Country Club, which is located in the middle of Long Island and is a historic uh, golf course. That was built. I wanted. To, I could be wrong about this, but I want to say in the late 1800s. But I have never played any of those great golf. Co- I've played Cypress Point for goodness sakes. I've gotten on golf courses that you know people really don't let people like me on <laughs> usually. <laughs> but I. Uh, it's funny because the thing is, I never played golf growing up in New York. I said this to you before. We used to kick the crap out of guys that played golf. I mean, that, that just you just didn't do that. I mean, we I grew up going into New York City and playing basketball in the playgrounds of New York City. If you played golf, it meant you belonged to a country club. 
It meant you had money. It meant we didn't have public courses anywhere around where I grew up, and nobody would play anyway. I mean, that was that sport was. It wasn't until I moved to L.A. Um, in the early '80s, and my brother Mitchie had moved out there before, and he was playing, that I started playing. So uh, I'm not. I've I've been on your show so many times, but I'll say this again because I think it's a funny story. There was a guy that we went to high school with named Andy Schuyler, and he was a great athlete, and he was uh, he was on the golf team at our high school. We used to make fun of him all the time, all of us. And he used to say to my brother Mitch and I, because we, we were pretty big athletes in high school, we played force. He used to say, my father just wants you to come out to our country club and play golf with him. <laughs> and we used to say, are you kidding me? There is no freaking way we're going to Sea Wayne Club and play golf with your father. Are you kidding? And years later, after I had started to play, I would go visit my mother uh, in New York, and I would go, where's Andy Schuyler's father? Where is, <laughs> where is he now? I mean, this is 20 years after I graduated from high school. I want to play the Sea Wayne Club. Where is Andy Schuyler's father when I need him? now. Um, but I, I never really got a chance to play any of those great golf courses in New York. And, you know, there's still a chance. I'm still of here. There is. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe someday. Matthew, one of the things I think you and I agree on is the wraparound golf season. The wraparound PGA Tour season is, in my yeah. opinion, ridiculous. <laughs> I used to love this time of year used to be silly season, right? I mean, we'd be looking forward to the skins game right. or the senior skins game, yeah. you know, the three right. tour challenge and stuff like that. Talk about, you know, the, what we've lost by not having those sort of fun events at this time of year. Well, I think w there's no off season anymore. I mean, one of the great things, obviously we have in baseball, we have the playoffs going on now and then the world series. And then you have some time off, so that spring comes, and in February, training camp opens. You've had a chance to back away from the game that we all love of baseball and get involved in basketball and football and other sports. And then when training camp opens, you can't wait for it to get going. That was part of what used to happen with golf. Uh, it was only a couple of months, but the season didn't start till the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii in January. And so you had a little bit of time to just t take it easy. And if you lived in a place that was nice enough weather, you could keep playing. But you know, now, th here's the most ridiculous thing. And you and I have talked about this before. The whole FedEx Cup idea, which I get it. I get having those three events at the end of the year and creating, a, you know, the biggest purse and all the stuff. The whole thing, we had our first tournament of the new season in October. And on the first freaking day of that tournament, maybe it was the second, they already put up a FedEx Cup point list because somebody shot 67 on the first day. <laughs> and it starts then, and it doesn't end until the Tour Championship. It's absurd. I'm sorry, my voice is being raised a little because this drives me insane. 
And that's what this has become. And these tournaments, look, the Shriners and the tournaments that are part of next season already. See, that's it. It's not the silly season. It's not the wraparound season. It's next season already. And these tournaments do a great deal for charity, and I understand that. But in terms of the golf, it's absurd to me. It's absurd. Let's just go back to, it'll never happen, but, you know, the Tournament of Champions. In January, in Hawaii, that's how I feel about it. And the whole FedEx Cup thing for me is (laughs) – I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm with you. I I get a little carried away with the FedEx Cup stuff. (laughs) Uh, Matthew, switching gears a little bit. I saw today that Billy Joel put out a new video for his song, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. The video is fantastic, folks. If you haven't seen it, go check it out on YouTube. But, Matthew, a guy who played with Billy Joel for many years is a good friend of yours, and that's a guy who's also in the Brooklyn Music Hall of Fame, and that's Liberty DeVito. Talk about that and uh, how you guys met. Here's the amazing thing about my friendship with Liberty. I met Liberty, um, I want to say maybe three years ago, uh, maybe four. You know, when you get as old as I am, Chris, and this will be a while for you before you reach my age, you kind of, the years kind of blend into each other. Could have been 20 (laughs) years ago for all I know. But I think it was about three years ago, maybe four, I was invited to uh, be involved in a Comic Con uh, with. You know, the, all these people show up, and it's people from TV and movies and all kind of wrestlers and all kinds of different things at this these conventions that go on. And I was invited, and I got there, and Liberty was one of the musicians, one of the people there. And you sit and you sign autographs and you take pictures with people, and hopefully you make a lot of money while you're there. <laughs> and it was it was three days. Um, and Liberty and I got really close during that three days. We had some amazing conversations. Um, he, t- a lot of it started because, uh, we were actually at dinner. I, I had only said hello to him and, and just talked to him for a minute. And we were sitting at this dinner table and uh, I believe how it started was he said something to me and I said, I'm a bass player. You can't talk to bass players like that. You drummers are ridiculous. <laughs> I said something because I played the bass in Eddie and the Cruisers and got us into the movie. And we started talking about, um, you know, the music and John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band and, and Southside Johnny and everything connected with that movie. And that's really how it started. And we spent a lot of time together over those couple of days that we were together. That's the only time we have ever spent together, ever. Wow. And yet, it's such, this This is, how, it's like my friendship with people on Twitter, or you, or people that I, I mean, I have such a, a I love that guy so much, for so many reasons. Um, and we talk on the phone, and we we're on Twitter together and social media and we text uh, together and, but we've only actually physically been together for three days. 
Wow. <laughs> and every time I say something like that, I just shake my head because I have another way that I'm very blessed. I have so many relationships like that with people, you know, that physically I haven't read. I have a lot of friends that I've never met uh, like a certain person. I may like be talking me. to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yep. Matthew, I know we talked a bit about this last time, but I want to touch on it again because it is a really big deal. Last year, you were recognized by the Kentucky section of the PGA of America as their media representative of the year. And, and I bring that back up because, like I say, A, it's a big deal. And B, because you were a great actor in Hollywood for many years. You got into golf late in life, mostly because you were playing in celebrity, you know, golf events, things that you've talked about before. And then you fell in love with the mm -hmm. game. And what you've given back through your show, Backspin Golf, and your support of junior players in your area in Kentucky and the women's side of the game and entertaining all of us on Sunday mornings has been phenomenal. I hope you allow yourself to understand how important you've become to the game of golf and its growth, not only in Kentucky, but around the world because of the power of the Internet and our ability to listen to your show online and uh, not just when it's when it's live, but you've done so much for the game of golf. I hope you realize how important you are. Um, you know, one of the things that happens uh, as you get older is things choke you up, um, like right now, like what you just said. Um, I don't, I, I, you know how how I love you and I appreciate you for saying that. Um, but I can honestly say that. It is absolutely nothing compared to what the game of golf has given me. Um, extremely grateful that because of the platform that I was given some seven years ago now, I think, um, I'm able to do certain things uh, for junior golf. Um, that's the most important thing to me right now is seeing kids learn how to play the game and I can interact with people and get people to do certain things. And, um, I want to talk to you about one of those things. I hope I don't forget. Um, uh, the game of golf has given me the incredible friendships, as you said, from all over the world of people that I've never met and yet do more for me and my life than I could ever, ever, ever uh, give back. I mean, I, I certainly appreciate you saying that, but boy, do I feel it's uh, the other way around. I'm very grateful for the Kentucky PGA section to do that, but uh, that's what I said when they gave me that award. I mean, golf has, has my whole life uh, playing the game. Everything that has happened in my life has been because of golf. Everything. Um, I met my wife at a golf tournament. I have my two incredible sons because I met her at a golf tournament. Uh, the job I have now, my job for 10 years at Duke basketball was because I played in the Duke Children's Classic and was fortunate enough to get friendly with Coach K and develop a relationship with him. Um, I've traveled all over the world 
because of golf tournaments, celebrity golf tournaments. Um, one year, I mean, one or two years in there, I didn't buy a golf shirt because I kept getting free golf shirts from celebrity golf tournaments. It was incredible. I didn't even have to buy golf shirts. Um, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. I appreciate you saying that, but um, I just, I truly think of it the other way around. To go back to, I think, the point that you wanted to make as well, um, talk about what you're doing for the junior game and how your show Backspin Golf has become uh, a title sponsor for the local junior tournaments there. Well, um, I got very friendly with a guy named Chris Reddle, uh, who has put on an incredible series of junior golf tournaments. There's actually two that I'm involved with, with Chris and um, uh, the Bluegrass Junior Golf Tour. Uh, and that is something, see, this is how golf works. This is amazing. Um, because of backspin golf and something I saw on Twitter about uh, an event, a series of events, a, a junior tour called the Irish Junior Open Series. I was able to connect with Michael Gallagher, who is in Northern Ireland and runs the most incredible junior golf tour in the world, in the world. And I got in touch with him and he came on my show and I spoke to him. <laughs> this is, again, I can't believe this happens, but the connection was clearer than the connection you and I have right now. We did it on Facebook or Skype or however we did it. And Michael and I have gotten very, very friendly. Well, I, unbeknownst to me, even, they kind of did this in secret. Chris Reddle got in touch with Michael Gallagher. And now uh, Michael has not only the Irish Junior Open Tour, but he has a, a, an event called the Champion of Champions. And it's junior golfers from all over the world that have to qualify to play in Ireland in the Champion of Champions event. And next season, Chris and right here in Kentucky, our junior golf uh, tour, the Bluegrass Junior Golf Tour, is going to be a qualifying event for the Champion of Champions event in Ireland. Wow. I, I mean, I am just saying it is is flabbergasting to me. Uh, and again, this is the power of the Internet, social media, with all the horrible things that we all know about living in the world we live in today. This kind of stuff, you know, you can't make this stuff up. And so the the somebody, there are going to be children, young golfers from Kentucky who are going to qualify to play in that event in Ireland next summer. Um, also, here's an idea uh, from uh, that I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago. This is another example. Um, I'm involved with the First Tee of Lexington, and we all know about the incredible work that the First Tee does all over, everywhere. And the great people at First Tee of Lexington uh, – Ryan Ballinger, who hosts an, an, just an incredible conglomerate of golf 
uh, media called Golf News Net. Um, I saw on Twitter he had an interaction with somebody, and this is bad for me because I should. Uh, it may have been Trevor Reese, who has been on my show a million times, another wonderful golf writer. They were talking about what we should all do, all golfers. All the balls that we have that have a little scuff or a little dirty or we've played 10 rounds with them or we all have a ton of balls like that. We should find a way at each of the golf courses we play to set up like a big barrel or some kind of container and leave the balls at the golf course, at each of the golf courses, for whatever first tee is involved in our city or wherever we live for junior golf. Because so many of these kids have nothing. They have no equipment. They don't have golf balls. They don't have – and if there's a little nick on the golf ball, it's fine. I mean – you know, if if I I drive around at the golf course I play every weekend and I find 10 balls in the rough every single round. And some of them are like new and some of them aren't, but they're still good golf balls. And I thought, what a great idea this is. So today I reached out to my friend Stephen, who's the head of the first tee of Lexington, and I'm going to work with him on trying to go around to the five incredible public golf courses that are partners of mine on backspin golf, um, the Lexington uh, parks and rec golf courses, the public courses here and figure out a way um, starting in the spring or even in the next couple months before we have ice storms and we can't play to put, start putting kind of a distribution center at each one of these golf courses where when you play around, if you if you play a round of golf with one ball, which most of us don't do, except me, I do. Of course. Uh, of course. Um, the end of the round, take your ball and drop it in the barrel or whatever we have at the golf course. If you have, go into your golf bag. If you have five of those balls at the end of a round, take them, dump them in there. And think about all the golf balls we could give to all the first tees. Everywhere, really. Um, the, you know, there's there's so many ideas like this that, that we can come up with, and uh, it's just really cool. It's really cool. Golf social media is really something. Anyway. That's a, no, that's a fantastic <laughs> idea. Kudos to you guys for coming up with that. I think that is something we should absolutely do everywhere. Why not? What do you yeah, do with a golf ball anyway? I mean, you, you may keep some for a shag yeah. bag, but after that, right. what are you doing with them? You're throwing them away, yeah. you know, who knows? Yeah. But I got, why do that I when somebody else could benefit? I have 50 of them in my trunk. <laughs> I have 50 <laughs> that keep rattling around, and I keep going, why don't I take these out and put them in the garage? Well, you know what? Tomorrow, maybe I'll go over to uh, pick a dome and drop them all off and say, hold these for the first take. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Beautiful. <laughs> yep. Matthew, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can listen to your fantastic show, Backspin Golf, plus follow you on social media as well, my friend. Well, they can follow me on Twitter at RealLauro, L-A-U-R-O, and the number five. Uh, and Backspin Golf uh, 
is on WLXG.com or the WLXG. I believe, just like you, I believe this Sunday's show will be uh, my final show, uh, taking a little break until uh, January. I think I'm going to take a couple months off because I'm getting the uh, basketball season's going to start here. I do a pre- and post-game basketball show for Kentucky basketball. That's going to start up in a couple weeks. So I think I may take a little break here, as you're going to do. Um, but they can go to WLXG, and, and we have all the podcasts that I've done uh, listed there. You can pull it up and listen anytime you want. Matthew, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. You're fantastic. Well, you know how I feel about you, Chris. And I mean, you know, this is the best podcast, golf podcast there is. And I'm always honored and humbled that you ask me, especially when it's the last voice that people will hear. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm glad that it's my voice that they hear. I hope they enjoy it. But uh, I'll be talking to you real soon. And thanks a million, Chris. Yeah, thank you, my friend. And you know I love you. I hope you hope you have a, you a great show this coming weekend. I'll be listening and uh, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Thanks. You too, pal. Talk to you soon. See you, Matthew. That's a great Matthew Lawrence, folks. And um, like I say, when I sit back and I think about who should be the last guest voice you hear at the end of uh, one of our seasons, uh, it's been Mitch in the past and uh, and, and now Matthew, uh, two of the absolute great human beings on this, great friends. And like Matthew said, I mean, Matthew and I have become really good friends. Mitchell and I have become really good friends. We've never seen each other. We've never met in person, but we've talked on the phone. A million times we text with each other. We uh, go back and forth on social media and things of that nature. But they are two of the finest human beings on this planet. I, I love those guys like brothers. They're, they've been so supportive and so good to me. And um, and I just love everything that they do. Mitch, is, his show is called Talking Golf Getaways. You've heard me talking about that many, many times. What a great job he does marrying uh, golf and travel on that show with his co-host, Darren Bunch. And then Matthew with his show, Backspin Golf, and he does a drive time show as well. But um, everything that those two guys do is is fantastic and special because they're they're both really special people. And I can't thank uh, Matthew enough for coming back and being part of the show. We'll catch up again soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow not only on this episode, but of this season of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again tonight to John Cook, Tim Simpson, Olin Brown, and Matthew Lawrence for joining me. and folks. Your support this season has been absolutely fantastic. I appreciate all of you so very much. I'll be switching over to our football podcast Thursday night tailgating in a couple of weeks. If you love the NFL, we talk with the legends of the game each week to hear their stories and insights for what's going on around the league, plus their days in college football as well. My co-host Bob Lazari and I will kick off that show on Thursday, October 28th. And our guests that night are going to be former Giants and Browns running back Randy Manier former Patriots running back Tony Collins, Pittsburgh Sports Talk radio host Paul Alexander, and former Dolphins tackle Richmond Webb. Folks, it has been such a great season here on Next on the Team. My thanks again to all of you and to all of my guests for making this show so much fun to do. As always, thank you for choosing to listen to this show tonight. 
I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next time, hit them straight, my friends. team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners so start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only ten dollars each these bonds earn a fixed seven percent apy and there's no fees penalties or minimum balance required and they can be redeemed whenever you like you can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds go to worthybonds.com backslash save that's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com.